Hello, everyone, and welcome down to episode number 70 of the Down South Ooh. Photo Show with me, Brendan Waits, here in Ocean Grove, Victoria, Australia, and the guy on the other screen and in your other ear, if you are listening to the podcast, it's Cam Blake in Hobart Town, Tasmania. Hello, Cameron. Good afternoon, good evening, and good morning, Brendan. Oh, how are you? How are you? <laughs> Stop that up. How are you going today? I'm, I'm, I'm really good down here. It's that's the way. It's been a very balmy day down here. It's been it's lovely. um it's summer. How good is it? And it's uh Proper sort summer. of towards the back end of summer now. But um I finally managed to get down to the beach a bit more now and mm. do a bit more swimming. I do yeah. live on the coast after all. Yeah, I'll apologise now if you can hear any music in the background of my recording because mm-hmm. there's a massive concert going on over at the Mona Art Gallery, which is just over the water. Who have we and got playing tonight? I've got no idea. Okay. No idea. I don't even make know. something up. Uh ACDC are playing over there. Yeah, yeah. You would not be on this podcast if ACDC were playing. No, I would not. I'd be over there with my shirt <laughs> off drinking. Um, so yeah, drift as, as anyone knows with sound waves, they drift across the water really well. And it's yes. all uh, it's water between us and the art gallery. So you would hear uh, a lot of it. Yeah, but it's uh, it's a lovely day down here and um happy to be here talking to you. Nice. Thanks for everyone for subscribing, tuning in, all that sort of stuff. We are closing in very quickly on 400 subs on the YouTubes. So thank you. And as we mentioned last week, uh, closing in on 7,000 downloads of the show. So brilliant. Thank you all very much. Um, we're going to launch straight into our main topics for something different, Cam. I think yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's a new approach to the show. Mm. And uh, as you, people would have seen in the thumbnail, what the main topics are anyway, normally. So um, yeah, yeah. We want to kick this off with a discussion about dynamic range. Um, Do we really understand why dynamic range is so important and how understanding understanding this can launch your landscape photography? So Mm. now, Cam, you put this in on the agenda. I did. did. So um, I'm going to hand over to you for your first little little crack at this topic. I guess I've got to talk about it, do I? I'm afraid. (laughs) So if you put it in the agenda, then you've got to actually back it up with something to say about it. Yeah, well, the reason this comes up is that we had a really good chat uh, the other day down at the Southwest where I went uh, between these this episode and last episode where we flew in for a few days. And we had these really lovely morning sunrises and incredible sunsets in the afternoon. And, and we had a lot of people asking about the, the histogram and what it's representing and, you know, understanding not to blow out your highlights and making sure there's detail in the shadows and all that kind of stuff. And we got talking about dynamic range. And and when I started talking about dynamic range, I got a quite a few blank faces from people who I don't know if they really understood what the dynamic range was trying to do. So what I wanted to talk about, I think it's, I think it's really important that people shooting landscapes get a really good grasp, grasp on what uh, dynamic range is and what it represents. And I think between you and I, Brendan, we can come up with a, a, a layman's term or, you know, a nice and easy, understandable way to explain what dynamic range. But as I explained to my customers on the trip, you know, it's it's pretty much the range of what your camera, well, generally in a, in a camera, the dynamic range is what the camera is capable of ha- handling from dark to light, you know, shadows to highlights. And then anything outside that dynamic range within your scene, the camera is really going to struggle to get detail in those two ends of the of the equation there. So, but yeah, I thought we'd open up the discussion about how we can explain to people that who probably understand histograms and understand a little bit about light, but maybe don't understand what dynamic range is. And I'm hoping you're an expert. Yeah. Uh, well, generally, <laughs> I'm hardly an expert on anything as we know, but my, uh, my understanding of dynamic range and, and when I, um, when I'm selling cameras and I, and I don't do that as much anymore, but definitely mm. back in my, in my camera house days and places like that, um, my definition of dynamic range was your camera's ability to see yep. detail in yep. highlights and shadows at the same time. Yeah. So yep. an image. So if you look at an image, like the images that are behind us in our backgrounds tonight, like, you know, Cameron's shot has got a lot of shadow areas, a lot of darker areas, but he's also got a great big highlight right above. Well, now that you can see it right above where his head was. So, mm. The dynamic range in that image uh, has been made very, very even across the whole scene in so far as the highlight up in the top part of his photo is not, it's visible, but more importantly, the detail is visible. So when we talk about blowing the highlights, 
uh, or clipping highlights, some people would say. It's when all that detail disappears. And and then the best example I can give is at sunset when the sun is still above the horizon. Yeah. And basically it just looks like an atomic bomb going off. Like you almost need That's to right. squint when you're looking at it to see any detail. Yeah. Um, it's it's sort of seen as a bit of a no-no in, in photography to, to blow out your highlights. Uh, with good reason, uh, mainly because it just leaves a massive big white patch in your photo generally. Yeah. Very occasionally it can work for you, though. Sometimes you might want to actually use it to your advantage and have overblown highlights. But generally speaking, what you're looking for, a more pleasing image, is detail in highlights and shadows together. Yeah. So conversely on Cam's image there, those the shadow lines that you can see on the horizon, like at the edge of the, the water's edge on the yeah. island, you can still pick up detail in those trees. There is still yeah. detail to be seen in those trees. So yeah. as I say, dynamic range relates directly to your camera's ability to see detail in the highlights and the shadows uh, at the same time. Yeah, excellent. I think uh, Adobe wrote it really well. I just looked up something here as well. So the oh, let's plagiarise range- them then. Yeah, let's plagiarise them. They're not very big. No one watches no. from there. Um, so what it is, it describes the ratio between the brightest and darkest parts of your image. So so pure black to pure white. Um, I think it, usually most cameras see about half the range of dynamic range that our own human eye can see. So yeah, exactly what Brenda was saying. It's that sort of ability to get the, the highlights in, into the shot as well as the shadows into the shots. And what, what we did on this trip, we actually went a bit further because for those who might be a little bit more versed in the world of photography you might have heard of the guy called Ansel Adams and Ansel Adams came up with a thing called the zone system which was trying to pick you know the shades or the the, the variants of shades from white to black in his shots and his black and white shots pretty much essentially what he was doing was determining how much dynamic range was in his shot to allow it to be able to fit the parameters of the film he was using so the same thing applies when we're doing digital each camera has a has a tolerance of how much ratio it has between pure black and pure white that it can capture what we're trying to do as landscape photographers is get our exposure shifted to the point where we're not blowing out or clipping any highlights and any shadow detail that we are losing is probably detail that's not important to telling that story in your shot like you just said so the shot behind me where we've got the little mountains on the on the little uh, white rock over here you can see some of the tree tufts on top and all that kind of stuff but you can't see in the shadows of all the trees and stuff like that because it's not really that important um, but what we found on this trip is that uh, i started getting people to try and guess uh, for those who have light meters at home you can actually do readings of each you know in ev readings so in light in light stops you can read from different parts of a scene so you can take a light reading off my little island here you can take a light reading off the highlight up here and then you can work out what the difference is between the brightest bright and the darkest dark is. And if that number squeezes in between whatever your camera's dynamic range is, then you can pretty much capture all that detail there. Um, and, it, and it's not just to sort of make a nice photo fit in the ratio of what you can do. It actually comes in really, really handy for when you're editing later on because you can actually play around with all these different parts of your shot, you know, the mid mid-tones, the shadows, the highlights, and it makes your editing, uh, it allows you to sort of bring out absolutely everything that you saw of that light in that scene. So yeah, now th- this is a really important part about dynamic range, exactly what you're saying there, because you've got to use it to your advantage, right? And, yeah. and working out, as you say, that tolerance of your camera. And this is where things have changed a bit, uh, particularly in, probably in the last four or five years. Once mm. the megapixel race was pretty much run and won and, and we started to work out that, not you know we don't necessarily have to have 150 megapixel cameras we can yeah. get away quite comfortably with 16 20 24 megapixel cameras no worries at all yeah the uh that's dynamic range started to change so where where sensors their their light sensitivity was a lot better uh and the number of stops so the the, the how much um how much light can be read mm. was greater so yes. uh, but again it always comes back to that it's all relative highlights versus shadows. Yeah. And and once that gets further and further, those tolerances get further and further, you've increased the dynamic range That's of right. said of said camera. Yeah, which is why it's super duper, super, super duper important if you're doing landscapes to try and shoot when the light's not only its best, but when it's also its most squashed down in regards to dynamic range. So, you know, the shot behind Brendan's probably got a dynamic range of eight or nine stops or something like that from, you know, the bright part of the sky to the dark parts of the storm clouds he's got there and the sand's probably in the middle somewhere. So it's a nice, even sort of flat light 
across the whole thing. If you try and take that shot in the middle of the day, then that sky is super, super bright. The sand's really bright. The clouds will probably look darker in that time of day as well. So you'll have a greater ratio of difference between pure black and pure white. And one of the easiest things to do with your landscape photography that I've found is, and I say this in all my courses as well, like majority of the time, we're trying to make sure that the sky looks cool, that the water looks cool or the river or something or the waterfall looks cool. Most of the stuff that we want to look the best in our shot is made up mostly of highlights. So it's either a dramatic sky or a really beautiful waterfall or some reflections on a lake or water. You want to make sure that that real hero of your shot isn't lost or clipped by you overexposing too much. So as a rule of thumb, when I'm shooting landscapes, I'm almost all the time about one stop underexposing. So whether or not I'm shooting manual mode or aperture priority mode using exposure compensation, I'm always pushing my exposure a little bit darker just so it captures the highlights in that dynamic range. Because like Brendan said, if I lose that sunset behind me or sunrise behind me, that that's the hero of the shot. That whole color and that whole event up there in the sky is gone. And same with Brendan's shot. If he overexposes the hell out of that sky, that stormy, moody shot becomes nothing but a flag on a beach with a blown out sky. So... Yeah, this, this is what we're talking about. And it was really interesting that I, like, I don't think people put as much emphasis into understanding what their camera's dynamic range can actually do and why. Yeah, it was funny you should say it because back when I was starting out and particularly when I ventured into digital, which was, at the, and I love saying this phrase, at the turn of the century, makes me feel very, very old. But uh, back at you know, 99, 2000, when I first started dabbling in digital photography, probably even when I was scanning negs and slides into photoshop mm. when i first started with it i think the the better shots that i would get was getting i didn't i had no understanding as to exactly why they were better yes yes but if you go back through my older photos particularly my some of the ones i used to sell quite regularly yeah you would find that they were probably the ones with the greatest dynamic range like that yeah. that that did exactly what you've just said then um yeah you know, gives gives a real even balance across the whole scene when the details yeah. are maintained throughout. Yes. So yeah. and 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 that yeah, if you go back through my early catalog, you can see, yeah, okay, that photo works. Let's deconstruct it. Why does it work? Because now I, it's almost a case of I wish I knew then what I know now. Yeah. Yeah. And generally uh, speaking, you're right. It's 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 got a lot to do with dynamic range and managing the dynamic yes. range. Yeah, I, I reckon you're 100 right there. I think if if the listeners and viewers went back and said, I really love that shot I did of Airs Rock or something like that yeah. or Uluru. Yeah. Um, and let me go back and have a look at it. I can guarantee you that it's probably not shot in the middle of the day. It's probably got either a storm or some earlier morning, late night, not uh, light, light. So the light's squashing down. So the dynamic range is not that super duper bright. It's actually quite condensed and quite soft as, it, as the sun's coming up or going down. And that's what makes a lot of the great photos is that pure light, that nice squash dynamic range and being there to capture it. Now, the other thing that was really important that we spoke about on this trip, um, because Peter Dombrowski's name came up quite a lot from the people that were running the tour, Paravian, uh, one of the guys, Greg, if he's watching, g'day, Greg, um, he actually knew Peter. He, he met him a few times. He actually saw him down in the southwest. They dropped him off to go do some photos for a couple of weeks and picked him up at the end. So uh, amazing insight into, you know, 40, 30, 40 years ago. Um, but what they was talking about was his shots and his work and how good it was. And if you go and have a look at all the great artists from, you know, that use slide film or, or black and white film, they, they, were, they were working with minimal dynamic range on film. So for those who might be old enough to know, slide film or E6 film like Fuji Velvia or Kodachrome or whatever it might be, has a, has only five stops of dynamic range. So in regards to when you can shoot that and when you can get all this beautiful detail of your shot in, your time frame is tiny. Like you've yeah. got a window, you've got a window of opportunity of maybe an hour or two. Uh, and if you go and look at a lot of Peter Dombrowski's work, he's known for these beautiful compositions and beautiful landscapes. But nine times out of ten, the sky is almost just left to do what it's going to do because it's outside that dynamic range of the slide film. But his foregrounds and mountains and rivers and waterfalls, they're all absolutely spot on perfect. But he's almost said, well, I don't have the range in my film to capture all this light and from dark to light, but I'm not going to sacrifice this amazing foreground. I'm going to let the sky just fall out a bit. Uh, it's incredible to look at. So yeah. I think we're, we're, we're living in times that are incredible with digital cameras. We've got up to 14 stops of dynamic range. Yeah. So it's almost yeah. three times the range that these legends who were shooting film had. Yeah, I remember we, we talked to Ben Horn. That was one of the real yes. eye openers for me was when he was talking about his 
entire five stops of dynamic range. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, and I was just like, man, I, I can't operate in that in those yeah. areas. Like that's yeah. there's no safety net there. But you're you're exactly right. Um because people like Peter were had to work within such narrow margins. Yeah. It made them better photographers. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah. And and I think you can you can flip that argument nowadays that cameras you know because they've got greater dynamic range i don't think we're producing as many masters of photography maybe no um, but, but what know. we are what we and are I'm, by the way i'm not claiming for one second that i'm a master of photography yeah, so, same same yeah you know i'm um, just just saying i don't think there's as many outstanding photographers as there was because of those parameters that they used to yeah. have to work in yeah. to, to literally master their craft. Yeah. And this is, this is, I think a really, it's probably one of the most crucial important points we'll ever make on this show, I reckon. And you're, you're spot on with what you said, because what we see now is these incredible, there's these incredible photos everywhere you look like there is every time you scroll on social media or, you know, open the website or something like that, there is incredible landscape photography across the world. There's a few reasons for that. One, people are, you know, equipment is lighter. People can go a bit further. Technology around, you know, weatherproofing and stuff like that. People can go out in crazy weather and get these crazy shots. But what it hasn't done, what it has done, it's actually, like I said, it's sort of flooded the market of images. There's no outstanding photographers anymore because, everyone's getting very similar shots. And the reason they're getting very similar shots because we've got this incredible range of, of detail and data to work with when we take these photos, as as opposed to these guys, you know, 20, 30 years ago shooting film. Like you said, they had to master their craft. They And they couldn't miss. If they stuffed it up, it was gone because they couldn't just go onto a computer and I'll just fix that up a bit and play yeah, around with right. that a bit. They couldn't do it. So I think in a way that the technology that's advanced has only... It's improved photography, definitely. It's improved people's love of photography. Everyone's into photography. But I think you're right. I think what it's done, it's actually really started to shave away at the true masters of photography who who know exactly how they're shooting, who know who can still work in those five stops, even though they've got yeah. 14 stops of a digital camera. They can still work in that realm there. And I think it's really important for people to understand that, that you know, getting all that light and detail and data on your sensor is a hell of a lot easier and there's a lot more forgiveness than what there used to be. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how, how it works. Well, these little things here, mobile phones mm. as well, the, the, the cameras inside these now have, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, but I'm going to say 11 to 12 stops probably. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, now when I'm processing, you know, photos for people who've just done holiday snaps, even yeah, they've, they've improved because yeah. again, the dynamic range on board these cameras. So we're not getting, you know, sunset on the beach, you know, the classic. So you can now take a photo with a smartphone of someone, you know, with their back to the sunset and yep. they're not silhouetted anymore. Yeah. And the reason they're not silhouetted anymore is because we're not playing in five stops of dynamic range. We're now playing in yeah. 11, 12 stops of dynamic range. So those, and a lot of this is computational photography, but folks, if the detail ain't there, it ain't there. So yeah. it has to be there to begin with for, for that to yeah. work. Yeah. So that's why now you can take a lot, you can get a lot more detail in shadows instead of just silhouettes, yeah. even with basic um, basic phones. Just a really quick little aside, our Horizons line up on our backgrounds. I don't know if you noticed. They, they do. <laughs> they, they do <laughs> yeah, and, and, I just and noticed get, while I was talking. And that's another, that's another funny topic that we will probably talk about at some stage is we'll put our horizons straight in the middle of the shots. Oh yeah, I mean, aren't we just losers? I mean, yeah, come on, I mean, who does that? We're breaking the rules, but oh, yeah, rules, so, mate, rules, rules. So that's that that's dynamic range. I I really encourage people to get their cameras out and have a look, have a read through the manual, and and or have a look online and see what your camera does in dynamic range. And when you're looking at landscape, start looking for that bright highlight and that sort of dark shadow, and just start to try and figure out in your head: is that outside of the realm of what my camera can do? Or, and if you're in lunchtime, late morning, early afternoon, nine times out of 10, it's going to be, yeah, that's way out of the range of what I can do. Yeah. And you watch that light start to squash down and get lighter, uh, get closer together as the day goes on. And I can guarantee you, people, once people get their head around that and start looking for that, they won't go out after after 10 a.m. or before three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, that's right. Unless, unless they're doing black and white where you don't really care too much about dynamic, dynamic range as much yeah. or, or it's rainy or moody. But and, really, and of course, yeah. the other the other big benefit with a digital camera is, of course, you get the instant feedback. Now, most yeah. cameras in their in their um, when you 
reviewing an image in the review mode can will actually there is a mode that you can set where it'll actually show you clipped highlights yeah uh and i've made probably even i don't know what's the phrase for clip shadows clip same shadows thing? the same thing uh yeah you, is it called you clip, can you do you clip the shadows yeah you clip the shadows and you clip yeah. the highlights yeah. yeah i've always i've never i've always said you clip the highlights never realized that you said clip the shadows as well and and, and probably one of the quickest ways to get uh that information in your head is on most cameras these days, I'll have the indicators on the screen. So you can turn yeah. your indicator on to say clipping highlights. And when you take the shot, it'll just click. Yeah. It'll flash it flashes on the, the flash little marching ants around the thing. Yeah. yeah it'll right. flash on the screen to show that you've lost detail in this flashing area, yeah. which should be a, a massive alarm to say you need to drop that exposure down. Well, to drive the point home, that's crucial because the detail ain't coming back. Yeah. No matter what. No, if you that's clip right. highlights, the detail's gone. You're not. You can't. You can do what you like in Photoshop or Lightroom. Yeah. It's the detail's gone. Well, this, and this this is the other thing that pops up a lot these days is the use of graduated filters. Yeah, it's graduated ND filters. So these are filters that go on the front of the camera that graduate from dark to light tint. So you can actually put half the filter on the sky to drop the exposure value of the sky down and leave the the foreground without being touched. But I don't know if you need them anymore because you've got so much range in that file. You can do that in post with a graduated filter in post. If you've got the information there, then you can bring up, you know, if you underexpose for the sky, like with this one, the, the raw file on my shot actually looks quite dark, but that color there is almost spot on. Yeah. And all I've done is just almost done a reverse grad and just brought the foreground up to match that, to balance that exposure out because the data is there. Yeah. I can well, see your brain I, I think I've never shot with graduated NDs. Um, but I, I think I see their benefit insofar as we always bang on a lot about getting things right in camera. Yep. And I think that's where they probably have their advantage, like in the field, wanting to get yeah. the exposure right while you're there. So using a grad ND. Yeah. The problem I find with grad NDs generally that they have to be um slip in. So you're adding another that's mount right. to the front of your lens, it's yep. more gear to carry. They're fragile. You don't want to drop one of the things, you know, on a beach or on a rock or in the snow. If you drop no. it in the snow, you probably never find it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and, and you know, I think people over the little while have learned that I'm a pretty lazy photographer. So I don't like no, the sure extra not. steps you have to take to achieve something you could really easily achieve in post. Yeah. And that's yeah. where things have changed. And that's where, as you say, uh, I just looked, the Sony A7R4 has 15 stops of dynamic range. So right. 15 stops, 15. And so they reckon been... just from a quick Google, they reckon the human eye has about 20, 21 stops. Yeah. So it's, it's not far behind now. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, like I said, it's an important topic and it, it seems to creep into my workshops every time somewhere. Someone will, when we start talking about histograms, the, the ultimate question people, what, 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 what is the histogram? What's it showing? Yeah. Okay. It's showing your, you know, your highlights and shadow ratio and stuff. Yeah, but like I don't get it. And then when you start talking about dynamic range and I, I even draw little diagrams in my scenes and say, right, if we're shooting at, you know, F F 2.8 at a hundredth of a second, then that that bit of that sky is going to be different to that sky. And they're all different exposure readings. But as long as they fit within that dynamic range uh, ratio, then it's all good. Yeah, that usually, that usually it's all good because the detail is retained. It's all good because I said it's all good. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Just listen, listen to what Just I tell you. Listen to that. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Very cool. If you've got any questions about dynamic range, fire away below or yeah. um, drop us a line. Um, I think our we might have a little announcement about our website soon too. Stay tuned for that. We do. Oh, shit. Apparently, okay. so it's, it's it's blowing uh, in the wind. Yeah, we'll talk about that after the episode. I reckon about that announcement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't throw me at in some the point. Air. At some point, it'll at some happen. Point. Maybe in twenty twenty three. Maybe. No, it'll happen soon. Yeah, it'll happen soon. Um, so, yeah, the, the other topic I wanted to talk about today, and I don't know why it popped in my head, but I'm seeing all these people walking around with these cool little travel cameras. Um, they're like a compact camera with a zoom. Some of them have got interchangeable lenses. Some don't. Um, and I, I'm sort of tempted. I, I used to have a Fuji uh, 100X, um, X100V, that, and they're like hen's teeth these days. You can't get your hands yeah. on them. Yeah. Uh, but they're just this cool little fixed focal lens shoot from the hip type of thing. And it's got me thinking, like we've got our phones, which are great for a little travel camera, but should you, you know, should we look at having another little, maybe a bit more higher end little digital yeah. camera in our kit? I don't know. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of them. Um, yeah. So I've, I've owned 
oh, over the journey, probably six or seven Panasonic Lumix TZ series cameras. Yeah. TZ, yeah, yeah. TZ literally stands for travel zoom. Yeah. Um, uh, re- my most recent one was a TZ90, which yeah. I think has got th- 30 times optical zoom, which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. But they do have the tiny sensors, uh, which generally leads to, um, you know, if you want to do an enlargement for, from it, for example, you, you're a bit battling. But what we mm. just talked about, dynamic range is lacking because the sensor is yeah. a lot smaller. Yeah. Um, but they are, they do have their place, um, particularly mm. like when I, mainly, you know, for over the last 15 years, we've been traveling with kids. Um, so, you know, it, it had, it gave me a bit more zoom. Uh, it was pretty discreet. Uh, yeah. It wasn't a phone. Probably yeah. shooting. One of the problems with taking taking holiday snaps on your phone is you're always looking at your frigging phone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then oh, oh, I got a message as well. And then you're out yeah. of the moment. Whereas with yeah. a camera that doesn't have, you know, it's just got a screen, and you're yeah. actually, you know, you keep you keep in the moment. I think with it with a yeah. with a real camera in air. Yeah. Well, just I'm just having a look through a list I found today of just different cameras that are out there, and like I said, the TZ. Sirius and Panasonic are really good. Yep. Um, the other ones that are really good, uh, like I said, they're the Fuji, the X100Vs, and even the small Fuji XT, I think they're the XT30s or XT40s. Yep. Like they're, they're a small digital SLR, but they're small enough to get in your hand and have interchangeable lenses. So, yeah, I'm with you. Like like the Olympus system that we use, our own system, they're, they're relatively small, but with all the lenses and stuff you have hanging around in your bag, and it becomes an effort to use it. But um, I did play around with one of those Fujis that I had for a while and I loved it. I sold it. I stupidly shouldn't have sold it yeah. um, because it was a great little, you could do full manual. You had like a little aperture ring. It was like using an old school camera. Yeah. Um, but I think they're great. Like if you're like, there's so many times I've been away somewhere where I'm like, I don't want to take my camera. Like I just got back from Melbourne this week. I don't want to take my camera, but I don't want to use my iPhone. I want to, I want something that's a bit in between the quality and the, and the, and the fun of playing with it. And I think yeah. they're great. And they're not generally stupidly expensive. Like you can generally pick them up for a decent sort of price. Um, yeah. But I reckon they're great to have. And and they, they slip in your pocket or they, you get a little pouch around your, around your neck or something like that. And yeah, yeah, I think yeah. they're good. And, well, it's good to see that um, most of the big manufacturers are still supporting that genre of camera. Yeah. Uh, but they're doubling down. They're using them a lot as vlogging cameras because, yes. you know, everyone wants to be on YouTube, right, and be a vlogger. So, you know, they're using them like that. Yes. Um, but there's some of the compact cameras on the market from Canon in particular, they, they're still making some good little cameras. Um, Panasonic, as we, as we mentioned, I don't think yeah. Nikon are making compact cameras anymore. Um, uh, Nikon I make... could be wrong, but I no. don't remember seeing many Nikon. No, Nikon brought out a camera. Um, bugger if I can figure it out. It's like, it looks old school. Uh, yeah. it, might, it might even be in this little list I had, but it's a Nikon something. It's a Nikon Z. There we go, ZFC. So it actually looks like an FM three. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, it's a, I, I love the look of it. So and it's got you know the old school lenses as well, but that's pretty small. Um, it's probably probably kind of along along the same genre as the Pen F. Yeah, the Pen F. Yep, the Olympus Pen F. And even yeah. the EM5, the OM5 that you just bought. Yeah, oh, that's a great little size. I, I'm I'm really falling for that camera. I'm really yeah. glad I bought it. It's a ripper. And but, but as soon as you start putting, that's all I'm saying, as soon as you start adding lenses into your kit that you take, which you generally do with these larger systems, all of a sudden you're adding up weight. I reckon if you can get something that's just one-stop shop, it's got a lens, it's got a zoom, it's got some manual features, if not full manual features, it's got a nice sensor. I reckon I reckon they're they're pretty cool. And like the, the crimiter crop is the is the Leica. There's a Leica Q. Yeah. Um, they're, they're stupidly expensive, but ridiculous. they are ridiculously high quality yeah. as well. So I'll um I'll throw one at you that is right outstanding and gets overlooked is the Canon PowerShot G7X Mark II. Right, um, that is an absolute cracking little pocket camera. It ain't yeah. cheap. It's about nine hundred bucks, but it's uh it, it's got yeah. everything that opens and shuts on it. It's discreet. It's small. It's compact. Yeah. Uh, probably not a huge amount of zoom, but as a as a really cool holiday camera or street shooter, yeah, uh, and definitely a good little landscape kit if you want to travel light. Yeah, um, yeah, that that thing comes highly recommended. That's a cool yeah. little camera. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's I think there's merit in having one in your kit, and like I said, it doesn't have to be the bees or the ducks guts or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but I think just having something that's not your phone. That's not your big camera where you lug around. Like, like perfect example the other night. I was like I said, I was in Melbourne, went and saw 
the comedian Jimmy Carr. I actually got a, I got a selfie with him. Would you believe that was pretty funny? Yes. Um, and like I had my phone, but I would have loved to have something just a bit more higher quality because when we were going to this concert, there was the light along South Bank was just incredible. And there was all these things yeah. going on. Yeah. And the iPhone to me just doesn't, it just doesn't feel like a camera still. Like you're yeah. pressing a button on the screen. I don't like that. I like the idea of pressing a, a physical button. So yeah, I think I think there's definitely a place for them. And, and they just slot in your kit and yeah. you know and you get you know, and you get way more street cred points when you've got a real camera, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. If you're yeah, not doing yeah. selfies and stupid shit like no, that. No, no, it's got a you know, and, and a lot of the compact cameras now have the stainless steel finish on them and yeah, you know, they look like old school cameras, but they're yes. just you know oodles of technology built into them. So yeah, uh yeah, I no, I, I think I personally I I think we're still heading towards there being less and less <laughs> cameras in general, but less yeah. and less compact cameras on the market. Yeah, and back in the day, like that's all there was. It was just when digital first came out. That's it was all the Canon Ixus range and the Nikon yep. Cool, or that Coolpix. Yeah, Coolpix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, and, and and then the Canon had their it. power shots, and then you know Panasonic with their Lumix range. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're getting sort of harder and harder to get, and and I would imagine probably just generally less of them being manufactured. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of having a compact camera. As I say, it's that perfect middle ground. Yeah. Well, for those who might be interested in in that little Fuji I was talking about, the X100V, don't bother. It's been out of stock for about twelve months. Uh, that's oh. how pop. That's how popular this little camera is. There you go. Uh, so it's been out of stock for ages. But yeah, I think there's definitely a place for it. And um, if you're a camera nut like us, you most likely you'll find something, and uh, you'll put it in your kit. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, let's let's briefly talk about. Um, and we will keep this brief because this will be the third episode in a row we've spoken about. Which we, uh, which we weren't going to speak about it, but we keep speaking about it. These two letters, AI. Um, so our friends over at DigiDirect have decided to... Our, uh, good strike... friends, our, our only sponsor of the show, friends. We're not going to shit on too much. No, no. DigiDirect are fantastic. That's digidirect.com.au. Um, <laughs> they have put out a, a little fight back competition. Now, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that... Artificial intelligence went and went and won itself a, 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 a landscape of landscape photography competition that DigiDirect held. Well, they've decided to run this competition called AI versus Man. So, in other words, they're actually encouraging people to use AI to make a photo yep. and to submit it and to say that it was an AI generated photo, mm-hmm. and then they're putting. I'm assuming you can then submit a photo that you took. Yeah, and we and they're going to actually see who wins the competition. Now, is this going to be based on vote, like public vote? No, or? no, it's going to be the good judges who judge the first competition. Right, okay. I'm assuming it's the same judges, yeah. which should which should make it an even pretty even competition because they couldn't tell the difference the first time. So wait, hang on, are they actually going to know that it was AI? I believe they are going to know it's AI. Yeah. Okay, so but that's going to automatically sort of cloud their judgment isn't it that's going to be sort of aren't they aren't they going to that's going to sort of prejudice them they're going to they're going to go yeah we don't want an ai one see we're still better at photography we can still sell cameras well maybe that's what maybe (laughs) that maybe maybe they're setting up the ai people to shoot them down and saying yeah you tried your best but you know what yeah man still wins that that might be where they're going with it be interesting Uh, to see yeah and like I said to you, Cam, off air, it's a marketing exercise. Of course it is. They're yeah, striking is. while the iron's hot and good on them. Like that, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Everyone does that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah. it, and and I want to see the results now. So they've, they've got me sucked in. Yeah. I think, look, yeah, it's definitely a marketing ploy. And, you know, or maybe they're trying to save face or maybe they're trying to cover their ground for what happened. But it's definitely out there. Um, I would hate to be a judge in this competition, not because of the the, the, the result you've got to give out, but just the amount of crap AI stuff people are going to send in. Yeah. Like well, it's just going to be ridiculous. Like they're just yeah. going to be sifting through thousands and thousands of pictures that are made up of crap. Um, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, good luck to them. Good luck oh, to the it, AI crew. It, 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 it's just, it seems like a case of if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> That's a little bit like, a little bit yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, yeah. we shall see. We, we, we may or may not keep you posted on how that works well, out. We, we made, we might digress. So, <laughs> Um, tip of the week. Tip of the week. Well done. Um, Cam- <laughs> Cameron has written here infinity oh, focus. Yes. Um, glad you just deleted that last part <laughs> of it. Infinity focus. How do you find it? Let's first of all, before we work out how you find it, what is it? 
Well, 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 I was going. To, I was just about to say Infinity Focus. How do you find it? And would anyone like to guess what was in the brackets at the end of the show notes? Put <laughs> if you try, can guess what. Guess Cameron that, if you can get, if you can guess closer to it, I'll send you one of my little Tassie books. I swear to God, my little, my little compact book. If you can tell us in the comments, Infinity Focus. How do you find it? There was something else in brackets afterwards. If the closest person will get a nice book, and we'll send it out to you. Um, so, in, so Infinity Focus is. What the term is, this is my understanding as well, um, is is where the lens is at its at its full focal adjustment so, so it can focus on things that are infinity. So what is infinity? Well, infinity is infinity, but generally speaking... Infi- <laughs> infinity general- is infinity, that's true. <laughs> generally infinity, but a lot of people think, oh, look, the stars are infinity. You know, that that's generally where we would use it for astro or night photography and things like that. But infinity doesn't necessarily, necessarily start light years away. Most camera uh, lenses, the infinity starts after, you know, 50 metres, 20 metres, 100 metres, whatever it is. It, it gets to a point where the focus is just from one point to infinity, uh, always being nice and sharp. So the reason I brought this up, I've had a chat with my friend Jamie about infinity focus, and there was an Aurora shot that I saw the other day that popped up. It was this really nice Aurora shot with this silhouette of this beautiful tree, like an old gum tree, I think it was. Um, but the gum tree was like super soft, but the the Aurora and the stars were sharp. And I got thinking, I'm like, to me, that's a bit of a missed opportunity because they're, they're quite a fair way away from that tree. But maybe what they've done is just focused it on the on the stars, where if they potentially focused on the tree, it might have been caught in that infinity focus. I don't know if that's right or not, but that, that's, that's my theory about what I was looking at this photo. But for those who shoot astro, for those who shoot stars, you know, your camera generally finds it hard to focus in the dark and especially focusing on stars. So on most cameras, you can you can switch your little lens over into infinity mode or into manual mode and then put it set the camera focus to infinity, which is a certain marker, which is an infinity sign, a sideways eight, figure eight. Um, so you can actually set your lens to infinity and without it being auto-focused, you can be confident that anything at the infinity focus will be nice and sharp, hence stars, auroras, things like that. But um, I think it also, you know, I don't think it's, uh, at the entire infinity level. I think it can come back a bit further. So I might be 100% wrong on that, but maybe I should have Googled this topic before we talked no, about that it. that all made sense. So, no, okay. And then that's how, pretty much how I would have explained it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So how do you find it? How do you find it? Uh, on your lens, uh, like I said, if you look at your lens, most lenses, some do, some don't, but most lenses have a like a distance uh, scale. So, you know, it'll tell you what your closest, closest focal point is. And it'll go out to, you know, usually like on my little Olympus lens here, I've got a little thing that shoots down, down, and that has a a close focus of, you know, it's about 20 centimetres. But then I can actually swing this around. We're not going to be able to see it on screen. But I can swing it around to the infinity marker on the lens, which is, I don't think we can see that. Let's have a look. Maybe you can just see it. That little sideways eight just there. Right the there. there. Yeah. Right under the red dot there. Yep. You got right it. under the red dot. So that's the infinity marker. So what you would do is turn your lens around, but be careful not to turn it too far past. So if you could actually go past the infinity, so you can go infinity and beyond. Yeah. <laughs> hey. um, and I've actually had a couple of people ask me about that in the past as to how or why does the lens go past infinity? Do you know the answer to that? I have no idea. Don't you? Oh, no. I was hoping I was hoping you would. The two things that I I understand one from university where I actually did listen a couple of times, and the other one from a few other people that told me. So someone told me that it goes past the infinity mark because the autofocus has to, when the autofocus goes in the lens, it actually searches has to sort of go past infinity to be able to search back to infinity, which didn't make sense to me at the time. But the other reason I was taught that the infinity goes past infinity is when you're shooting infrared. So infrared, ah. you're actually shooting into the unseeable spectrum. Spectrum, yep. So you're actually focusing past the visible spectrum into the infrared spectrum. So that's what I understood it to be, maybe on some of the older lenses, maybe the new ones are different. Yep. But to find it, you chuck your camera into manual, you look for the sideways eight figure. And if it's not on your lens, sometimes it's on the back of your screen when you go into manual focus, it'll have a, it'll have a focus range on the back. Usually it has like a really big pine tree and a couple of little pine trees at each end of the scale. So you know if it's close or far away. And then usually it'll have that sideways eight movement there. But super important if you're doing astro, aurora season seems to be kicking off down here and it's getting into the cooler months. So we get more more darkness and, and light, uh, night skies. So yeah, if you want to shoot astro or 
uh, things like that. Even if you just want to shoot landscapes without having to focus or anything like that, you can generally set your camera on infinity focus and just shoot anywhere you want. As long as it's a big, vast landscape, it'll capture it in focus for you. There you go. Tip, tip of the week. Yeah, that's my tip. Run and done. It was cool. I learned a lot. I learned about infinity and going beyond infinity. Do we want to do do we want to do gear talk? How are we going for time? Or do we want to get into the deer cam? I think we better do the deer cam. Uh gear talk yeah. we'll we'll talk about next week. Okay. Um not yeah, not a heap of new releases going on, but no, um, we'll talk no. we've got time for that next week. Sure. It's time for everybody's favorite sub segment in episode still, 70. Still doesn't have a jingle. As if it ever will. Deer cam. Uh, <laughs> this is from our friend. Where's Nathan from? Uh, that's a really good question. I don't know. Hello, Nathan. Nathan. I'm sure you're watching I, and listening, and I, he's yelling in his AirPods. It's me, Nathan from. He's like, I told you, you idiot. I'm from blah blah blah. Um, yeah. I don't know where Nathan's from actually. Hey, if you do, if you do do a deer cam, put down the bottom where you're from. We like uh, to know where you're from. Uh, let me have a look. Deer cam. It's fine. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, right. got nothing. Deer cam. My first SLR was an old Olympus OM10, which I mm. loved. I've Damn. still got it, along with a few decent lenses from the early 80s in good condition. These days, I'm using a Sony mirrorless. What are your thoughts on using adapters and old glass on newer digital bodies? Ooh. I shoot landscapes, so manual focus, etc., isn't an issue. Is newer always better? I recently started listening mm. to your podcast, really enjoying it. Thanks for doing it, Nathan. Now, Nathan, you grease the wheels beautifully there, hence why you've had your deer cam read out. So. I, I I actually wrote that last bit. Sorry, Nathan. No, no, no. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, uh, so what do you think about using old lenses on newer bodies, Cam? I, I love it. I, I, <laughs> I'd love, I love it for a few reasons, um, and depending on what, what camera. So he's obviously got some old Zuko lenses that would probably have an adapter to fit on the Sony's. Um, there's also a lot of a lot of chats around whether or not you can use the old film lenses on the new digital sensors, whether or not they can actually capture the resolution through the glass and protract it onto the, the sensor. In all honesty, I don't give a shit about that if it does or not. I think they just look cool and it's so cool. It's <laughs> uh, But it's cool to play around with the manual focus and the aperture ring and things it like is. that. Um, I've, I used to use all my old Zuko lenses on my Olympus cameras. I even used it on I even got an adapter to use my old Zuko lenses on the GFX 100 megapixel Fuji. Awesome. And it was really cool. Like the sharpness was, it was great, but it wasn't the same as if you had the Fuji lenses on there. Um, but I still think they look cool. They can sometimes give it a real nostalgic sort of feel to it. Um, quick, quick side story to this, which I just thought about now. I actually had a 21mm F2 Zuko lens. Now, if anyone's watching, get onto Google and or eBay and type in Olympus Zuko 21mm f2 lens. I had one of these in my possession, and there was a guy down here in Hobart selling a whole heap of old Zuko lenses and bits and pieces, and he had an old one of those old leather bags. I thought, I'm going to go buy that off him. So I went down there, and he had this 21mm lens uh, on his little table ready to be shipped out. I said, oh, I've got that lens. And he goes, yeah, I just sold it for $4,500 or something. I went four and a half thousand dollars. You're on drugs, buddy. He goes, no, no, here it is, and he sold it for four and a half thousand dollars. And I said, I've got the exact same lens at home, exact same condition, barely use it. He goes, well, I've got three people on email following up for the one it sold. If I had any more, he goes, I'll pass them on to you. So he passed these people on to me. Again, I'm thinking it's a complete sham, but what was happening is there was all these um, film companies in Canada were buying up old stock of Fuji, uh, sorry, Olympus, Nikon, the old Canon lenses, all the all the old school lenses, taking the optics out of them, recreating them into new lenses that worked on their wham, bam, fancy video machine or video recorders. And what it did, it gave an old feel. Like it actually looked like it was filmed in the 70s or 80s or 90s. So they were actually using this old glass to put on brand new, probably state-of-the-art video equipment to get that new authentic optical feel about it so i sold it i sold it for four and a half thousand dollars the about the next week it was Amazing. nuts so back to nathan's question I, I reckon yeah absolutely use adapters old glass i think you know you may you've got to expect that it's not going to give you the exact same quality but i think it's going to be a lot of fun and you might actually get some really cool effects and and feels to your landscape shots that you know you might spend hours in lightroom or photoshop trying to create you might be able to put those lenses on and create a nice little style so yep. um yeah, he says he's newer, newer always better. Uh, yes and no. I, I think yeah. in some things they are, some things they're not, but I'd go for it. 
Yeah, from my very rudimentary experience with uh, using old lenses on digital sensors and new, newer sensors, particularly full frame. So your Sony mirrorless, for example, which nine, nine out of 10 of those are full frames. So I'd imagine that that would be a full frame setup. Yeah. Is you gen, the only downside really is this lovely phrase called chromatic aberration, which, right. um, yep. yeah, which basically means the light path is okay, but the color sort of slightly scatters away from the light path yep. because the, um, the way the light, through the old lens was designed to reach a piece of 35 mil film, whereas this is now reaching a sensor, yep. which is slightly different. So you get a little bit of scattering of the color that yep, comes through. And you really only pick it up. Uh, so if we're looking at Cam's background there, you'd see maybe a tiny little bit of purple fringing on the top of the mountains. Like if you zoom yep. it right up, you might just see that the color's not quite landing where it should. Yeah. Um, but clutching at straws. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. You're right. I, yeah. um, like I've got my little Pentax K1000, which always just sits here and looks at me in the dead. How cool would it be to use that little that little lens, you know, on a, yeah. on a digital? I'd like to put that on my OM5. They'll be an adapter, mate. They're, they're cheap as chips too. So, yeah, um, he says One's... looking for his glasses because I can't actually tell what lens that is. That's it's a, a Pentax Asashi 50mm 1.8. Is it? 1.4. 1.7. 1.7. That's weird. That's what it says. I would I wouldn't have bought that one for you. It's a 50 mil f 1.7. There you go. So you know to be able to use that on my OM5. So effectively have a hundred mil f 1.7. Yeah, yeah, lens. yeah, yeah. How much fun would that be? Yeah, I, I had a really nice 50 mil 1.2 Zuko lens, and I used that a lot on my digital OMs. <clears throat> and yeah, it was a bit softer, but it was just great fun to use. Um, one thing you'll have to probably keep an eye at, Nathan, is um, you'll need to have your focus peaking on because it's really quite hard to focus some of those old ones. Um, yeah, but the last, the, yeah, the last thing I'll say to Nathan, if he's got a Zuko 21mm F2, uh, <laughs> feel free to donate that to the show and we'll put it to good use. Cam will give you two grand for it. Mm, yeah, I will actually because you know what? <laughs> for, any, for, for, for all our amazing listeners who have actually gone and Googled that on eBay or eBayed it, they are up to about eight grand now. Oh, is that right? There you I go. Stu I'm stupid, stupidly. Um, you know our friend Adam Moore, who used to work at Camera House? I do very well. Yeah, I caught up with him the other day in Melbourne, and I was telling him that same story, and his face lit up. He's like, yeah. I know I know where there's like six of those. And he, he was almost on the phone ringing up all these old contacts that he used to trade <laughs> cameras with. So he's out hunting for one. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, I hope that helped. Nathan, I, I would definitely give it a go. Very cool. Yeah. Um, uh, coming towards the end of the show, and uh, we'd better tell people where our backgrounds are. Where's yeah. your background, Cam? Uh, just behind me. Okay, same. So we'll <laughs> see you for episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my little. Uh, so we've we've spun it around the show backwards, haven't we? We put the backgrounds at the end and the the intros good. at the front, which is good. Uh, so this is a shot the other day we had. This is probably one of the nicest sunrises I've ever seen in my life. I reckon. Uh, we're out on Bathurst Harbour, down in the southwest of Tasmania. This is our first sunrise of the trip. You know, talk about nailing it early. Uh, and we're out on the boat and you can see these sort of rain bands passing over. And as the sun came up, it just caught the side of these rain bands and they just looked incredible. And this light just hung on for about 10 minutes of this, this whole, you could see it just float across the sky and we've got all these different angles of it. So really, really nice shot. This is from a boat. Uh, the boat was just floating. But it's around about, I think it's about a half second exposure. So the image stabilizer worked pretty well. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a really nice one. I think I'm think I might get this one printed, or maybe maybe you might canvas it up for me. Yeah, that's no, that's an awesome shot. That looks great. Mm, uh, and fun. my background, I think I've had this background before. I mean, after maybe. 70 70 episodes, we're probably starting to recycle a few. But that's um, well, probably not. Shouldn't have to, but we kind of are because I just like that photo. That's Coolum Beach up on the Sunshine Coast in southeast Queensland. Um, I was waiting for a flight out of uh, Maroochy Airport and it had been delayed by an hour. So I went down to the beach and this massive storm rolled across the beach. That's why there's no footprints on the sand because it rained that hard that it just covered right. them all basically and, and that, flattened that'd be, the beach out. That'd be why the flight was delayed because of that storm. Probably. I don't know. No, oh, I can't remember. That was a long you know, time ago. You know, one thing about your shots I've noticed, Mm -hmm. This is going to be the biggest insult of all time. The oh, last, the, la the last few shots I've seen of yours could have been AI. Yeah, well, this is true. You could yeah. just say stormy beach with. Well, couldn't flag. any photo be AI? Well, this one behind me would be pretty tricky. I reckon. Do you reckon? Well, no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, we know what AI can do. Given what we've seen, 
Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, no, yeah, that's so, right. yeah, that's that's a nice Not insulted at all. In fact, no, no. it might be a compliment these days. I don't know. That might win a competition. Who knows? Well, true if I could be bothered entering anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else we need to talk about tonight, Cam? Uh, not much. What, what have you got coming up this week? Uh, holy smokes, what have I got coming up this week? A lot. Um, busy, busy times. Uh, off to the big smoke on Saturday. Might take my camera, actually. That'll be good fun. Um, yeah, and just, yeah, just work, man. Like a lot of lot of work coming through, printing loads and loads of stuff. Uh, we are handling that much film processing. It's ridiculous. Except um, you can't get any more. It's crazy. You can't buy a roll of film for love or money, and I am processing more than ever. Go riddle me that. People are going through their old stock. I don't know what's happened there, but yeah, uh, yeah doing lots of film processing, which is really, which I'm not doing. I'm just facilitating it. People yeah, give me right. the film, I give it to some dude, they process it, I give it back to the customer. So would it be would it be worth you buying a film developer again? I, I, I've sworn never to do it, just purely because of the the workload involved with, with yeah. film. But uh, look, it might might come around that way. And there are actually a couple of companies now that are that are putting out um, new film processes, which is. Very interesting, given that the big companies want out of film. There's there's always going to be this little vacuum that creates. Yeah, yeah, little people want to get in there. Yeah, yeah, very good. Um, my week, I, I, what have I got on? Well, I'm thinking I haven't got much on uh, next week. I've got much on for the next couple of weeks. Actually, got a little Have bit of a rest. Then we, nice. uh, then we at the next trip I've got, we start our Tasmanian World Heritage Area tour. Where we're actually flying back down here for a day and exploring here for a day, and then we go over to Strawn. We do a nice Gordon River cruise. And then we finished off the trip five days later with the doors off helicopter flight over Cradle at Sunrise. Brilliant. Uh, amazing. I have two more spots available for that. That's a plug. If you want to oh, come yeah. along, get in oh, yeah. quick. There's two more places left. Details on my website, www.camblakephotography.com.au. And we probably shouldn't uh, let an episode go by without plugging our own workshops, which is the yeah. uh, yes. not only the Ballerine Peninsula workshop on King's birthday long weekend, which still has a couple of spots available on the Sunday, I believe. Yes, correct. Uh, yes. The Saturday is sold out, but the Sunday still has a couple of spots available. Yes. And, of course, our um, Murray Mallee workshop, which is uh, very exciting. I'm really looking forward yes. to that. And talking about coming up in a week's time, I'll be heading up there. Um, mm, yes, to- scouting camp out scout some locations for us and that sort of stuff and uh mm. i cannot wait honestly I, i'm really looking forward to getting up there to, to, to yeah. do that because it'll mean i can go out for a couple of days and take bloody photos you beauty yeah, yeah. well we've got tickets selling there's there's a couple of yes. tickets going already yes. uh it's 34 34 50 and that pretty much covers everything all you got to do is get to swan hill we'll do the rest um we'll take care of you from there so it's October 12 to 16, I think it is. Something like that. All right. it's, all, it's all on the website. But uh, yeah, I reckon we had a lot of interest when we mentioned it. So I think there's a lot of people still punching some numbers into the into the finance calculator to see if they can come along. But yeah. don't hang on too long because once they start getting a roll on, they'll be gone. So Generally speaking, that's what happens. Yeah, that's mm. for sure. Yeah. Um, nice one. All right. So well, this has been episode 70. Well done on reaching 70 episodes. A little round of applause for us. That's about all that gets. That's pretty good. 70. Yep. No, 70 is a good number. I can see yeah. us raising the bat towards the back end of this year, probably. Yeah, well, if we go 30, 30 more episodes, that's 30 weeks, that's three quarters of a year. So around about yeah. October-ish. Yeah, if we do one every week, which we won't. Well, I can't wait for our little overland overland track one. Oh, that's this is going to be uh, this is going to be yeah. something else. There's a, there's there's a lot to look forward to this year. It's, you know, it's, what, it's you going know, to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that the most because that's probably the hardest one you're going to have to edit. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'll get back and spend a week on the edit trying to get that sorted out and get all the days mixed up. So yeah, the first the first bit of <laughs> that's it, right. first bit of it be us like all filthy, dirty, yeah. worn out. Probably a black yeah. eyes like that. Yeah, that's right. That'll yeah. be day. That'll be meant to be day one. I'll go by beard length. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That's oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Work yeah. it clean out. Shape, clean shaven. <laughs> that. Anyway, excellent. This has been episode seventy of the Down South Photo Show. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We will see you next week for episode seventy-one. Bye for now. Hooroo. Hooroo. Someone's got to say it.